Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello folks, our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join Local Tennis Leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim on today's Wimbledon quarterfinals catch-up sponsored by local tennis leagues. Rafael Nadal battles past Taylor Fritz and injury. Novak Djokovic fights back from the brink. And Simona Halep eases through Amanda Anisimova. Kim, today is the 6th of July and we are here to catch up on the quarterfinal action at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are coming off the back of Rafa Nadal battling through Taylor Fritz and his abdominal injury. And we've also, of course, had on the men's side Nick Kyrgios with a more straightforward encounter against Christian Garin. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about all the quarterfinals action from today on the men's side as well as the women's side. And uh, yeah, I feel like there's only one place to start, Kim. We've had five sets galore, I feel, in the, the the men's quarterfinals with three of the four matches going the distance. Rafael Nadal today against Taylor Fritz. I mean, this was probably even more dramatic than the Novak Djokovic's coming back from two sets down yesterday against Yannick Sinner, given Taylor Fritz was playing well. And Rafael Nadal, we saw some tape on his abdomen during the week. And uh, unfortunately, it, it reared itself, um, you know, through through the match. It did. Uh, it did not look good at, at one point for Rafa. You know, he was clearly having issues on serve and then clutching his, his abdomen sort of after serving. Um, we thought that he might potentially retiring, uh, retire from the match. And, you know, he's come out afterwards to say that he was considering that. But the fact that he was on centre court mm. in front of all those people um, with the crowd, you know, that sort of enabled him to just keep fighting and carry on as we often see him do and you know he's he is the last person to want to to retire unless it's sort of absolutely critical so um he managed to hang in there and somehow win on a last set tie break um which mm. at certain points of the match just looked unlikely you know thinking how is he going to get through with this injury but it's um not the first time we've seen it and I mean, it's, 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 it's still, it's just incredible. I mean, if anyone can do that, it is Rafa. Um, mm. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it was crazy. His box were literally telling him to retire. There were all sorts of flailing arms and hand signals going about. And, uh, yeah, the, they, they felt like, you know, it was, you know, time up on, on Nadal's adventure, um, at Wimbledon, his adventure towards, who knows, a calendar grand slam. But, uh, he obviously had other ideas. Which was yeah, quite interesting. You know, quite interesting to see. We don't normally see. I feel like so overtly the box saying something, and then the opponent or the player just saying, you know, nope. I see what you're saying. 
but I don't agree with you. But if there is one player you feel like he's going to just sort of battle through the pain, that is Rafael Nadal. And, you know, as this match went on, I think, you know, we realised just, you know, just how much, you know, he wants it. You know, he's not been in this position for, you know, a long, long time. You know, first two Grand Slams of the year, unbeaten in Grand Slam matches. He wasn't going to let that go due to due to injury. And, you know, oddly against Taylor Fritz as well, Kim, because the last time they played in a final, he had a broken rib. So it was just amazing to see. And, you know, for me, this was a match that reminds me that not necessarily Rafa Nadal is one of the greatest players of all time, but is actually one of the greatest competitors of all time. And that sort of innate desire within him to compete on a tennis court I feel like that really, really shone through today as the match went on against Taylor Fritz. Yeah, I think his competitiveness is is second to none, to be honest. And mm. um, in sport, yeah, absolutely across all sport, and you know everyone looks up to him for that as as a result. And I mean Taylor Fritz, yeah, a bit bit of a curse maybe playing Taylor Fritz with those injuries. <laughs> it also I mean, what is that about? <laughs> well, it reminded me as well when Fritz was in that five setter with with Djokovic at the twenty twenty one. Ayo, I think Fritz might have been two sets up and Novak was mm, clutching yeah. his abdomen. I think it was his abdomen or or his groin. I think I think it was his stomach. And everyone thought Novak was going to retire and, and he didn't. He carried on. He managed to win that match. Um, a lot of people were then afterwards saying that, oh, he wasn't really injured or all this sort of stuff. Mm. But it's just, it reminded me a lot of that match. And it is, you know, for Fritz, it's, it's quite difficult to like play against someone who is like overtly injured um you know you think should I change my strategy should I play differently Mm. it's going to get into your head especially as the match went on and he was two sets to one up thinking oh am I going to do this am I going to get you know the biggest win of my career on this court um and you know it starts to probably play on your mind a bit more and you've got more to lose as the match goes on haven't you so that probably played a factor right at the very end and Rafa was just so such a stalwart competitor and so like clever and able to play around the problem that he was having. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, with Taylor Fritz, you know, you you talk about that, that Novak Djokovic match and when it becomes a reality that he maybe could win against a a big three opponent on, you know, in the best of five stage, again, it felt like he, he got stage fright. And I really do think that injury, you know, sort of changed the, the complexion of the match because, he was playing, you know, great tennis. He was living with Rafa. You know, his double-handed backhand, particularly across court, was I thought fantastic. And he didn't really let the, you know, the occasion get to him. But as soon as that injury happened, it just felt like to him, either I'm gonna win and people are gonna say, yeah, but you, you know, it's like we beat him earlier in the season and it, he, you know, he's injured, so it doesn't, it doesn't really count. Or if he was gonna end up losing, it's, you know, it was gonna be a big you know, big, big disappointment. And for him, unfortunately, that's what happened. But it, I think, just shows that, you know, for a player in this sort of best of five set format, you know, regardless, you know, of what the, you know, what the scoreline is, things can change. And I think Fritz, he needed to be able to ultimately handle that injury better and maybe show a bit more ruthlessness because he didn't show that ruthlessness against Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open when he was as you said, two sets up and he should have been going for the, you know, going for the jugular. And you felt in this match when he was, you know, two sets to one up, he should have, again, showed that more ruthlessness. And and I thought, you know, he would have learned from, you know, those previous experiences. But, you know, for him, it's it's still very much a learning curve. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the stats, though, they're very much on a par. I mean, exactly the same total number of points won, same amount of winners, same amount of break points they had. Mm. I mean, similar serving stats, to be honest, apart from obviously Taylor Fritz banging down quite a few more aces. But, um, you know, they were they're very, very close. But it just this is another argument, you know, surrounding do you play best of five at slam still do you reduce it to best of three? Because we would have had very different semi-finalists if if you know, we were only playing best of three at a Grand Slam. Um, Taylor Fritz, Yannick said, yeah, they would have they would have gone through. I mean, obviously, the dynamic, I guess, would change, and Rafa and Novak may have played differently from the word or from the word go. But um, mm. you know, it does show that, that this best of five set format is just so unique, and we do get these sort of 
epics happening with somewhat different results, perhaps. And um, I think Fritz will be, you know, disappointed, of course, as he's come close. And I think he would have had a real good shot as well against Nick Kyrgios. I think that could have been a really interesting matchup in the, in the semi-final if he'd, if he'd come through today. But, you know, I think he's had a really fantastic tournament you know he also won Eastbourne so him on the grass you know he's had a really really good run and getting to this stage of a slam for the first time so he should certainly be very proud of his tournament. I I think although you know in the kind of immediacy of defeat I think he's already admitted that this is probably the the biggest you know most disappointing loss you know of of his career because you know of you know of his opponent and the fact that they were, you know, not at a hundred percent. I mean, I think what you know, what was you know funny about this match, in my view, was just the number of breaks that was going on mm. throughout, you know, throughout the match. Because Rafa, obviously, and it's certainly in in sets four and sets five, his serve, his serve was you know way down. His first serve was way down in the third set as well, actually, and um, you know was really there for the taking for for Fritz. But even when there were kind of breaks occurring uh, the, the opponent was able to just break straight back so it really I felt kept the the fans and the crowd on their kind of toes in terms of what was gonna happen next but ultimately when you when it did get to that championship tie break Nadal's I think that competitive edge really kind of came to the fore and there really was only going to be you know one winner and it again just shows that you know with this best of five set format yes Taylor Fritz very competitive against you know big three players uh, like Rafa Nadal like he's shown you know earlier on in the season in um, you know in, in in the United States but when it comes to best of five the longer and longer it goes that's where kind of true champions I think um, you know elevate themselves and certainly we saw that today and Rafa is now nineteen and zero at Grand Slams this year still undefeated has Nick Kyrgios Kim on Friday what are your initial thoughts about that because I'm I don't even know if Rafa I mean I think Rafa will turn up for it you know I don't think the injury is that bad and we know we know that he likes or he he knows how to deal with playing through the pain barrier probably more more so than any any other opponent on on the on the tour at the moment so what are your what are your thoughts going into that match well, yeah, I mean, I was considering um, after he won today, I was thinking, oh, you know, w- would he withdraw in front, you know, in advance of the semis if it was that bad rather than like potentially disappointing mm. the crowd like during that? I mean, you just don't know. If every day is different. And like you said, he has this chronic foot injury anyway, where he said that some days are just, you know, the pain's terrible. Some days it's not so bad. So I guess he needs to s- seek the advice of his you know, doctor and his physio, maybe see if there's any treatment they can do on this abdomen um mm. and see what the situation is on on the friday we hope we get a semi final and we hope that that will be a good semi final and that it's not you know going to hinder the, the match because obviously no one wants to see that on paper this is a a, a semi final for the ages perhaps you know they've played twice at wimbledon before they've got one you know one win each on center court between the two of them you know it's definitely popcorn match you know popcorn tennis kind of got written all over it so we all hope that Rafa will be fit um and able to compete well and yeah like you said if anyone's going to do their best to be there it is Rafa so fingers crossed <laughs> for that one I mean <laughs> Kyrgios will be a lot fresher he only had a three-setter today against Christian Gerin uh to reach his first semi-final of a Grand Slam and you know he it was it was very straightforward it was kind of as we expected he was um Playing well, pretty calm, um, especially just... He had a bit of a slow start, though. He had a bit of a slow start, I felt. He like, did. Lost... He did, uh, which was a bit surprising when I was like looking at the scores. Um, but mm. he, he recovered quickly. And then from then on, it was it was kind of yeah. part of the course. I mean, Gary did well to, to stick with him more in that third set. Um, mm. But, I mean, with Kyrgios, you know, he's been saying that when he had previously, you know, got to like the quarterfinal here before or you know just had won a few matches perhaps at slam like his his attitude off the court wasn't particularly the most professional like he wasn't really focused Mm. he wasn't in a good place he's been saying that mentally he feels pretty good right now 
He's being a lot more um, professional, which is kind of what we've always said he needed to do and to be. Um, so it seems like obvious changes to make, but he it obviously is clearly, you know, he's reaping the benefits of that. Uh, and it's showing in his performances. Um, you know, he's 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 doing really, really well. He's got an excellent shot to get into his first slam final. Yeah, definitely. I think the only concern or, or worry was not necessarily, you know, the match he played against Christian Garin, but certainly the news that was was breaking out around the match because he did get charged back in his hometown, back in Australia, in Canberra, charged with common assault. And he's going to be charged next month. And they relate to allegations of Kyrgios grabbing um, his former partner back in December 2021 I mean this is obviously not not great news I don't know where it, you know it's going to lead to I was a bit surprised it came out during Wimbledon mm. whilst Nick Kyrgios is in the tournament that felt like it was deliberate <laughs> deliberately timed for this moment for sort of mass you know mass nuisance or mass sort of bringing the wheels off the Nick Kyrgios story at, uh, at Wimbledon um, but what do you what do you make of this because obviously we've had previous situations still unresolved in relation to kind of this sort of topic on the ATP tour. We're talking about Sasha Zverev, Basilash Vili, and who knows, maybe, you know, Nick Kyrgios unfortunately might be part of this conversation, but we've still not really seen anything from the, you know, the ATP to show that they're sort of doing something about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I was skeptical about the allegations coming out, uh, like overnight before, uh, this, Mm. this match. Um, and I mean, we know the media choose their timings very care, you know, very. Um, maybe mm. maybe I'm being cynical, but it, it, I I feel <laughs> like you know this this was already news maybe, and it's only just been released. I, I don't know. I'm just mm. yeah, I'm kind of skeptical about the timing. However, you know, if this is up for for the the, the court to decide, I I'm not privy to the evidence. This is an allegation at this time, so we, we don't know um what the evidence is so we'll have to see what happens in the hearing next month in Canberra um it you know doesn't sound good and yes it is part of this kind of like we've had a few cases what with Zverev, Basilashvili um so I I don't like to comment because it's um you know we don't know the ins and outs of of the allegations and what's supposed to have happened but I mean one thing that Kyrgios you know didn't seem to to let it do was to to get into his head today you know he um just said he kind of was able to focus on on his tennis and that was one thing I guess that you thought oh having all this all over the media might influence his performance on court I mean it still might um if there's more kind of uh stuff in the media kind of in the next few days about this if it if it really blows up as a story um yeah, it's it's yeah. not doesn't doesn't sound good, does it? It doesn't sound good. No, but uh, I you know, I don't wanna judge someone when it, it may just not be you know, I, I don't want to comment when it's it's down to the law courts to decide, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like, you know, Wimbledon will be, you know, hearing the story and hoping and thinking, oh, not another thing to, you know, deal with with regards to, you know, Nick Kyrgios and his, you know, his time at Wimbledon uh, in, in twenty twenty two. But yeah, certainly for me, regardless of the outcome you know of this or, or what it, where where this goes again it, it, for me it's still sort of this sort of issue you know it's a real topic it's a real problem it feels like for the ATP and who knows maybe they need to do a lot more about it because it doesn't feel like they've got infrastructure in place to kind of you know to handle these kind of these situations if they you know if they come to fruition so um as you said it'll be interesting to see how that develops is still, yeah, as you said, just an allegation at the moment, but certainly something serious that based on the statements that have been coming out, Nick Kyrgios and his team are, are handling very, very seriously. Mm, exactly. And I mean, I don't know what the ATP will do. I mean, I think it depends on what happens in, in the hearing as mm. to whether they would do anything, but they haven't obviously... Well, I still feel like they need to... They haven't done anything about... They need to sort yeah, of exactly. or, or do nothing. So I wouldn't yeah. expect them to do anything uh, because, yeah, they haven't done anything about the other cases. Although that hasn't mm. gone to a court of law, has it? This is actually going to... A local where there's this very thing has not made it to that particular location mm. so um we'll see how that develops over the coming days weeks um i mean just looking ahead to the semi-final between rafa and kyrios you know rafa leads the head-to-head 6-3 he's won their last three meetings um including the two that they've well 
the well the, the one they had at Indian Wells this year I remember watching that um obviously that was on hardcore they haven't played on grass since here three years ago I remember that tie break in the first <laughs> yeah when, when Kyrgios just went AWOL and it was a bagel tie break to the down. doesn't happen very often is it bagel tie breaks they're, <laughs> they're quite rare actually um yeah so Kyrgios's last win over Rafa was at Acapulco in 2019 that was that last set tie break yeah. I think he saved that a match a point didn't he well. yeah I remember that one um so I think like it's obviously got potential epic written all over it um I think it's got lots of tie breaks written all over it looking at their last mm. last four matches in particular lots of lots of tie breaks there I mean they played at the Australian Open in 2020 and as you said Wimbledon 2019 both of those best of five set matches had two tie breaks in the meet so I wouldn't be surprised if yeah if that happens again I'll be interested to see what the how the crowd acts during that match because I think it's going to be a bit more like Nick Kyrgios versus Paul Jubb first round when Nick Kyrgios will be the pantomime villain in that match. I feel like everyone is going to be supporting Nadal and they're going to be playfully supporting Nick Kyrgios and Sparks could fly him because I still remember that match they had at Wimbledon all those years ago. I think back in 2014 when there was certainly some some you know afters between the two. Nick Kyrgios, I remember just hitting a massive body shot at uh, Nadal at the net I wonder if Nadal will remember that going stepping out on court it'll be I, I just hope that they are both 100% and can play out a match because they are both very much in form and it'll be another I no doubt thrilling encounter yeah, because I don't know if, if Nick has any sort of shoulder niggle going on mm. still. Like, I, I'm i not sure today. I, I wasn't watching that match. I was obviously watching the other one. So. I, saw the, I saw that scoreline to begin with mm. um, when he lost the first nine points mm. and was, you know, down 3-1. And I thought, oh, is, is, has the shoulder happened? Is, is Nick Kyrgios getting his excuse in early during the match? But um he was able to obviously kind of correct that, but it still might be a you know niggling doubt. It's just fascinating how they go about, you know, each player goes about kind of these injuries because Rafa with this ab- abdomen problem, ab- abdom- abdomen problem, sounds like a surgeon, um, abdominal problem. You know, he's been very quiet about it, hasn't he? Yes, there's been tape there, but he's he's really kind of made no fuss in the build up to each match about it. In an interview I saw you know, a few days ago, he just politely said, I don't want to talk about it. Whereas someone like Nick Kyrgios with his shoulder, you know, during um, you know, his match a few, well, you know, before Christian Garin, um, you know, he was, it was very kind of obvious that you know, his shoulder was hurting. He was showing it to the crowd. He was touching his shoulder, all this sort of thing. And it's fascinating to me how he was so overt about it. Whereas Nadal, it was like poker face, nothing's wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. It's it's different ways of of dealing with it, and um, mm. I guess yeah, Rafa was always very careful to to hide what's going on, which is why today when he was grimacing and it was it sort of made you think, oh, there is definitely something potentially quite serious. So we'll have to see. Hopefully, they'll both be fit enough to give us a, a great match. Um, I mean, on the other side of of the draw, we've got Novak Djokovic, defending champion. As we alluded to earlier, he also had a five set match, but quite different, I think. Uh, in, in the sense of the, the lack of drama in the last three sets. <laughs> it was like a tale of two halves, wasn't it? Yeah, he went two sets down, 7-5, 6-2, which, I mean, I was quite surprised by. Um, but then we've seen Djokovic in this situation, I think, pretty much. Actually, I would say the last couple of slams he's won, there has been a match where he's gone two sets down and he's very calmly come back against, you know, young players like, I remember Lorenzo Massetti, now Yannick Zinn. I think Taylor Fritz at the AO was was two sets up. And he just sort of doesn't panic. And, you know, he did he did that in this match. He said he went off to the toilet, had a pep talk in the mirror when he was two sets down. And that seemed to work wonders because it was very different when he came back onto the court after that. And um, what do you think he told himself in this in this magical toilet break um, when he when he went off the court at, at two sets down? Um because yeah, he was he was not playing. Yannick Sinner, I think, to give him credit, was playing particularly well. But if you're Djokovic in that situation, walking off the court, two sets down in a match, you're kind of like in a tournament. You're probably expected to win on on centre court. What do you think he was kind of saying to himself 
you know in in that mirror in that changeover in that changeover i mean probably some positive visualizations and you know meditative <laughs> speech or something i mean i think just yeah like obviously positive proactive motivational mm. language i guess you know he knows he can do it he's been here before mm. he's a great champion it's that mentality that's got him through before um and got him through this time and and as it went on you know sinner sinner's thinking oh i'm two sets up i could i could win this you know i am mm. I'm, I'm in this position I'm, i've got stuff to suddenly lose yeah. whereas you know the start of the match he was just going for it as it goes on he's in the winning position and and that's when you know you might start to get tight and and not not play as um as freely as you do at the beginning of the match so i think we you know we've seen this many times before <laughs> Yeah, it was his first quarterfinal at Wimbledon. So, you know, it, there was definitely, I think, pressure going you know, going into him. Yes, he's had big matches um, before on the tour, but uh, I think this was a little bit of a different kettle of fish. And, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me as the match went on. You know, Sinner, you know, he didn't really get frustrated. He's a very kind of emotionless player, I feel, on, on, on the tennis court. Doesn't really give much away, but at the same time, he can just play some fantastic tennis i feel like the power he is able to generate i look at his i look at him and i look at his frame and i it sometimes surprises me how well you know he can hit the ball and and how quick it might have moves through the court and i think we saw that certainly on show you know in the first two sets and you know we saw that you know in the match uh, you know before you know in the, in the fourth round against carlos alcaraz but um again similar to kind of the nadal fritz story it just felt like for for Sinner when it got real, and there was a prospect of him dumping out one of the the big three, arguably the favourite for the tournament. Mm. The expectation, the pressure, it just got too much for him. Yeah, and I think it's it's really difficult, isn't it, for the younger players mm. to to get past that because yeah, they they need these experiences, don't they? They need them, yeah, and and they should learn from from them with each sort of match that they have. But it's it's almost you know Novak and with all these players like the reputation helps them half the time, doesn't it? It's you think oh I'm up against this absolutely amazing like god of tennis and what am I doing? I'm two sets up. Can I actually do this? Start to question yourself. I mean I know I would be that. I'd have massive imposter syndrome. Um, but you almost got to think in your head right. I'm just actually at the start of the match. This is the first set. Like forget that you're two sets up and just literally try and reset back to the start of the match again perhaps I mean it's difficult when obviously Novak you know ups his level um and he's suddenly getting a lot more intensity coming from the other end and especially when he's hitting shots like that double-handed backhand cross-court passing shot doing the splits ending up on the ground doing like a an airplane, airplane. great image yeah I know I did see some 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 wisecracks on social media talk about um yeah, he's pretending to be a plane to get into the United States. Uh, oh. in, in, in the, but, uh, oh but, um, but yeah, it, you know, uh, for me, that was actually, uh, you know, shot shot of the tournament actually so far. It it just sort of typified, I think, Djokovic for me in terms of, you know, the sh- his shot making, the ability for him to play under, you know, pressure and also his flexibility. I feel like as an athlete, there's not many people who are as, as flexible as him in terms of you know what he's able to do from you know the, the back of the court so um yeah it was uh, that was just kind of one of one of many kind of shots he was able to bring certainly into the you know the second half of the match and yeah he just just sort of ran away with it and, and Yannick Sinner I think was a little bit powerless I don't think his level particularly dropped I just think that Djokovic was just able to elevate it at the time you know he needed it most and you know he's had to draw on that a fair few times in in Grand Sams over you know over the last few years, and um, you know, he's now he's now gone and lost the first set twenty times, um, you know, at Grand Slam in a Grand Slam setting, and won only eleven of those matches. And so Yannickson might have been thinking, you know, is this is this my time? But I just think with Djokovic, he just he's probably the most dangerous player I think in a two sets to love down situation. Yeah, exactly. I think. Um... It's he, he, if he was going into you know to to play for your life or something, you'd want well him mm. and Rafa, wouldn't you? But um, mm. sort of slightly different styles in a way. I think like what we saw with the the Novak Sinner match, it was um, 
just a lot more calm and composed. <laughs> um, diff- different dynamics, isn't there? We didn't have any injury worries going on. We didn't no. have any, is this yeah. match going to suddenly end now? Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was just sort of like very str- I mean, I was expecting with the Fritz Rafa match for it to be um, much tighter anyway, was I thought Novak would mm. kind of. I was expecting a handshake. Comfortably. I was expecting a handshake, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the other match we had in the semis, Cam Norrie. Um, let, let's move on to that uh, because we could probably talk about Novak all day and, and Rafa. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cam Norrie against David Goffin. I mean, I did. I th- did you predict this one to be five sets? I think I said four. I think we both said four sets to Norrie. So I think we knew Goffin would make it difficult. Um, perhaps not as difficult as we actually thought it. You know, it would be. But um, Cam got off to a bit of a a tight slow start a lot of errors in the first few sets and uh, was was struggling a bit but I think the way he was able to hone in his game and come through in five I mean seven five in the fifth set you know you're on your first Grand Slam quarterfinal in front of a home crowd you know with nerves Duke of Duchess in Cambridge yeah, are there, Kim. exactly royalty watching not in the royal box I you don't normally see royalty I feel like schlep it out to number one court. well i'm glad they did like they you know they obviously mm, want to see their yeah, man definitely. so good on them um <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah he was just is i was very impressed that he was able to stay patient like he said and like clean up those errors and let his tennis do the talking towards the end and i mean yeah coming back from two sets to one down really impressive i mean I, i'm sure goffin was probably tiring slightly because he'd had that that very long match the round prior but um, I mean, he should be proud of his performance as well because he did um, did very well. Was making life difficult for Cam. Yeah, you felt the longer the match went on, or the longer Cam Norrie could keep David Goffin out on court, it was going to favour him. Given um, Goffin's epic against um, you know Tiafo uh, in the in the round before, but um, you know he did make it. He did make it difficult for Norrie. You know he's a great. Um, you know, for me, Goffin, he's like a great point constructor. Um, you can see he's got quite a slight frame. He's not the biggest person on, on, a, on a tennis court. He actually looks, I think, quite lightweight. But he and his positional play is is fantastic. And he was moving Norrie all around the court, I feel, particularly in that that first set. And it was really, I think, disruptive to Norrie. He really had to, I think, recalibrate you know, how he was hitting from the baseline, given you know, Goffin's timing, taking the ball early. It just was not affording Norrie a lot of time. And that's why I think it led to kind of so many unforced errors. I mean, 33 in the first three sets, that is not very much like Cam Norrie. We we think of him as a player who, you know, gives very, very little away in terms of, you know, in terms of errors from the, you know, the back of the court. And um, I think it was, you know, I think it was obviously quite tight at times, but when he went kind of two sets to one down, I think he, you know, helped. He really drew, I think, inspiration from the the crowd. And, you know, that combined with kind of tinkering his, you know, his strategy and his game plan really kind of, I think, brought him home, particularly in that that fifth set when he was able to break and, and win 7-5. Exactly. And um, I mean, Norrie's through to his first semi-final has been what since 2016 that we've had a a, a British mm. person in in the semis since Andy Murray so I know we had Carl Edmund at the AO but it's just I think very deserved that Norrie's got to this stage after all the the gains in his career over the last year and a bit like his you know first titles breaking the top 10 so to, to finally do do well at a slam and go deep and to do it at, you know at his home tournament in Wimbledon um obviously over the moon for him um and I feel like he's also got a bit under the radar this fortnight you know I, f- I feel like he's been on court one more often than center and uh you know if, if we, we know if it had been Andy Murray that wouldn't have been the case so no um yeah but yeah he's I mean he'll be on center obviously on Friday against Novak no one's expecting Norrie to win that like he has absolutely nothing to lose which I think is is a quite a good position to be in. Uh, you know, we saw how he was quite tight yesterday at the start of the match, a lot more errors. So hopefully against Novak, yeah, I'm sure he'll be nervous, but it's it's almost like literally just give it all you've got because we're not expecting you to win. <laughs> I am with you, Kim. I mean, Djokovic leads the head-to-head 1-0. He defeated Nori in straight sets um, at the ATP finals uh, last year. But uh yeah, I think I think it's a match where, you know, if Djokovic turns up, plays plays his game, which you would obviously expect him to do in a semi-final 
um, on on centre court. It should be, in my view, a straight sets job for for Novak Djokovic. But we all know Cam Norrie is going to have the crowd behind him. I think that's going to kind of motivate him. I think it's probably also going to no- motivate Novak Djokovic. We've seen him in situations in the past where, you know, he hasn't had the he hasn't had the crowd, and uh, you know, it's riled him up, and he's just. He's just sort of like been like, fine, if you're going to cheer my opponent, then I'm going to produce some amazing tennis and, you know, send send you home, you know, with with sad faces. But um, I certainly think that the crowd will help maybe both of them in, in that, that sort of respect. But you feel like if both players played their best, Novak Djokovic is coming through probably, yeah, I'd, I'd say in like a tight three set match tight okay yeah i'm, yeah. I'm not sure how tight it's gonna be i oh, do you think it's yeah. gonna be like a do you think Djokovic needs to even play his best i mean he's give he's given people chances this has not just been like the most it's not been the easiest journey i feel for Djokovic through to the the semi-finals i mean you know nori will i think look back on how some of you know his opponents have played so far and and have taken you know, a set or two off him so far. And you'll take, I think, great sort of courage and inspiration from that. Yeah, maybe I'm being a harsh on Norrie. I just, um, you know, he doesn't have like a, a, a big weapon, does he? Um, like a big serve. So and I just feel like Novak's so good at returning. Norrie's going to be under pressure constantly on his serve. And I just, I feel like as the match wears on, he might just get a bit frustrated. But I think, yeah, I think straight sets. I hope that Norrie can at least make those sets competitive um, and like like you said yeah to be fair you know Novak hasn't sailed through as, as comfortably as perhaps in other renditions of the of the championship so it might be um, there might be some hope <laughs> it does feel like it has got now real for, for you know for Cam in terms of I think you know even the most diehard British fans wouldn't have expected Cam Norrie to reach the you know reach the semi-finals and for me this is really the moment it's it's got real because you know, he's up against you know Novak Djokovic. Kit, what feels like everything is going for him, but you know he'll have great momentum, and um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how he gets on, and hopefully more people will know who he is, Kim. You know, after the tournament, because I think he had a, I think he had a chat with his taxi driver or, or someone in a bar, and uh, his the person said to him. Do you know, you look exactly like that guy, Cam Norrie, on the television. So uh, I, feel, <laughs> I just hope that more people will recognise him after this tournament because you know it has been a, it has been a, you know, um, you know, he, this has been the moment he has gone the furthest, and I hope people he gets the plaudits and the recognition from the the British fans from that because I do think, as you said, I don't think it's gone under the radar so far, and it feels weird to say that because he's in a semi final. He is one of the last four standing, and the three others are Djokovic, Nadal, and Nick Kyrgios. I mean, to get there, that's a pretty incredible achievement. Yeah, exactly. So he's in good company. He should be proud. Um, let's take a quick break now, Joel. Um, we'll, we'll be back in the second half, and we'll be looking back at all of the women's quarterfinal action at the championships. And uh, now that we've got our semi-final lineup, so do not go anywhere. Welcome back to our Wimbledon quarterfinals catch-up sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues. And now we're going to move on to looking at the ladies quarterfinals. So uh, today we had, um, well, a very comfortable win for Simona Halep out on centre court against Amanda Anisimova. Thought this one might be a bit closer, actually. I mean, it was closer than that match uh, last week in, well, two weeks ago in, in Germany, wasn't it? Yes, but we know that Anisimova has beaten Halep at a slam before and, you know, she's been playing decent tennis this this week um mm. and you know with with Darren Cahill uh working with her I think as well a little bit this week who obviously used to coach Simona Halep so that was that added dynamic to it um mm. but yeah six two six four to Halep she hasn't lost a set still this tournament she's been playing really really decent tennis and you know was able to just um to get on top of 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 the match kind of from the word go and um it's I feel like with Halep, I didn't realise this, but yes, yeah, she didn't play last year. And obviously there wasn't a tournament in 2020. So this is her, her title defence year. Um, and she's unbeaten really since 2018 Wimbledon uh, still. Yeah. So she really is is the one the one 
to to beat, I guess, perhaps, um, given, yeah. given that and her, her form here last time she played. Based on her pedigree, I think the other the other three are first time Grand Slam semi-finalists. So from that perspective, you certainly put Simona Halep as the favourite. And the way she played against Anisimova, um, you know, it was... It was very impressive with how she, you know, how she dealt with her. We all know Halep as this counterpuncher. And I think from the, you know, the baseline, Anisimova, it just got to a point where it just felt either Anisimova has to hit a winner here or she's going to end up losing the point. Um, and that's exactly how it played out, I feel, for, you know, the majority of it. Halep went 6-2, 5-1 up. Um, it looked very, very easy. It was only then when Anisimova actually made a match of it and you were sort of wondering well why didn't Anisimova start like this but it was only really when she was sort of swinging freely that um, it became a little bit more difficult for Halep I mean Anisimova had points I think to bring it back to um, back to five all but uh, Halep was able to kind of stop the the momentum in its tracks and and come through in the end but um, I just think that that Anisimova she didn't really have a a plan B she was just sort of hoping I think that her game was going to get better as you know as the match went on um she wasn't trying anything different she was just trying to i feel just like get into a position to hit some some big shots but given simona halep's defense and her movement around the court it was just a bit too it was just a bit too much and a bit overwhelming to be honest i think for for anisimova yeah exactly and i mean what could you do when you're up against someone in in halep's form and i, mm. I was a bit yeah maybe disappointed that anisimova wasn't able to um to make as as many inroads but i mean yeah especially with working with darren cahill I well would all over, insider knowledge would all over darren cahill yeah. being like tell me tell me everything you told simona hallett yeah and she she came back you know um she was five one down in that second set and she did win like three games to to try and to fight back and you know maybe that's that's where she feels a bit more comfortable and she's sort of um just playing as as freely and aggressive as she can as as the sort of like last chance saloon almost but um <laughs> yeah i think it's uh it could have been a, a yeah i was maybe a bit disappointed by the sort of oh, i i guess i was expecting a maybe a three set but i was expecting that from halep Pedosa as well and obviously that that didn't and so halep's halep's i think had the most difficult draw out of um all the players left in it i think um from the word go and she's come through very very nicely so that's why I'm thinking she is the one to beat. But she won't have it all her own way because she does have Elena Rabakina in the semi-final who is there at the stage of a Grand Slam for the first time. And um, she came through in three sets against Isla Tomlanovic, 4-6-6-2-6-3. I mean, I did think Rabakina would win this one. So Tomlanovic played a really, really strong first set, like really um, got off to a flying start and... um, was very very tidy in that first set, um, but once she went into the second, yeah, Rabakina stepped it up a lot, and to, I think Tom Lanovich was really struggling to kind of keep up, which obviously was reflected in the scoreline. Um, and uh, you know, was able to to serve it out very very impressive on on serving those last two sets. And um, I think yeah, she's we know that she's one of those players that on her day is you know right up there, and it's nice that she's getting form back after a difficult season as well yeah because she you know she started 2022 really really well she got to you know she got to the final in in Adelaide and then lost to you know Ash Barty um but yeah she had some real difficulties I think she you know got COVID in in February and yeah it's taken a time I think to to get back but she's certainly been a player we've had our eye on at Grand Slams you know, given, you know, given her, her quality. I mean, for me, Kim, the, the interesting thing about Rybakina is not the, the performance, you know, she gave. I was sort of, you know, I was sort of kind of, you know, expecting her to turn up and yes, Tom Manovich put up a really good fight, played really, really flawless tennis actually in, in that first set, but, you know, just a bit too much from Rybakina. But Kim, she is a player that, yes, she does represent Kazakhstan, but she actually has a lot of Russian heritage. She was born in Russia. She was raised in Russia. And I believe she still resides in Russia. And a lot of people are talking about, you know, we're coming to a a very real prospect, potentially, of Rybakina being in a Wimbledon final. Potentially, who knows, Wimbledon ladies champion. And it <laughs> we could end up with a situation that maybe Wimbledon 
didn't want, given, you know, they've obviously banned Russians and, and Belarusians from attending. You could easily just see the, the news headlines in terms of Russian-born Rybakina wins the, you know, the ladies' title. And it, it feels like a situation that the, the, the Wimbledon, given what they've done, it's probably not what they would have wanted. I think it would be, I mean... I want Halep to win the tournament. I think yeah. I'd, I'd love her to defend her title. Um, Long way to go, but to but go if Rebecca did win, um, mm. it would be a bit of a up yours to Wimbledon because yeah, in a way, like <laughs> she has you know obviously big Russian links. Um, so I obviously she's not representing Russia, but it, it, it's kind of there will be a lot of cr- criticism and and sort of irony there. So it would be quite interesting. Do you think they could have done anything about it? Like, do you think, like, in hindsight, it it could have been extended to players like Rybakina who were, I don't know, uh, born in Russia as well? Or do you think Wimbledon even, well, if she got to the final, do you think they will have a word with her, you know, about what she can and can't say, you know, in the, the, you know, in the player ceremony? Because, you know, that's what they're... Well, I feel like that's maybe something they'll be nervous about. I don't really. I think that she. I don't feel like they have grounds to be nervous, but you just know that they won't want to leave anything to chance. I don't think she would be stupid enough to mention Russia in any sort of mm. on-court interviews. I mean, <laughs> and I, I guess you, they're not going to have had rules that said, "Oh, if you were born in Russia, or if you've got like a Russian parent," because that's like I mean, Anisimova wouldn't be able to play because her parents are Russian so I mean there's lots of players that are from Russia that represent other countries and whatnot so they can't have have made those rules that extensive but um yeah I just think it's it's kind of like it would be an interesting turn of affairs (laughs) if she was to to win it's kind of like I wonder what Daniel Medvedev would have yeah (laughs) well they'll all be just (laughs) defecting to Kazakhstan we've already had one player I think Mm. defect to Kazakhstan and I think was it a, a doubles player um but you know, a lot of the Russians have already defected, not not since the war, but, you know, to Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, because I mm. guess they can get funding, you know, the, the the governing bodies there, the sporting bodies, they sort of uh, make themselves very attractive for these players to go off there and get the support. So you can understand why they would do that. But yeah, so it's, she's not the only one, but she's obviously just had a very good tournament and got to this stage. So it's drawn a bit of light onto the situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was... Um, much more convincing as the match went on and uh yeah almost watertight on serve uh, especially in that second set it was uh very difficult for for Tomjanovic. Kim what I also enjoy is I read this fantastic fact on on social media Elena Lakostova remains the only player who's actually born in Kazakhstan to reach a Grand Slam single semi-final but she did it representing russia so it, it goes the, it goes goes the, the other, other way, way as well, well. wow <laughs> blimey i don't know what her her story is i suppose i mean that could that be something to do if she was born when they were all soviet union mm. i don't i don't know but um yes yeah, when you get into all the sort of political side of things but uh yeah well we've got halep rabakina haven't we set up and we've also got tatiana maria against on in the semi-final uh you were right about this one joel you predicted maria and i was going about Nimai to win the tournament um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah maria doing what she does best winning uh in a tight third set seemingly four six six two seven five she came through against her fellow german uh so yeah obviously into the first semi-final of, of a slam at, you know in her career it's remarkable really because she hasn't ever gone even close to the semi-finals of a slam before she's only reached I think the best she's done as the second round prior to this so it's um you know in the twilight of her career such a crazily remarkable brilliant achievement um especially you know she's ranked 103 in the world at the moment so not many players ranked outside the top 100 have um have reached this stage and not many people sorry not many women's players over 34 have reached a a Wimbledon semi-final the only other players to do that Serena Williams Venus Williams Martina Navratilova Chris Evert Billie Jean King all legends of the game Kim and then Tatiana Maria so (laughs) it just it just shows you I think how how you know how incredible this is and uh, you know, as you said, this is a player who, you know, for me, you know, her story to, you know, her route to the semi-final, I think, has been captured by 
the fact that she never knows, you know, when she is beaten. You know, she was down against, uh, you know, Kostea. She was down against Ostapenko. She was down against Ostapenko multiple times. And she was down against Niemeyer, uh, you know, that first set. And she just, just, just able to kind of come back and, you know, keep it going and ultimately get the win. So it's been impressive how much she has kind of fought back from the brink and, uh, you know, won these, won these matches where we felt like maybe she's going in as the underdog. Um, you know, I do think with, with Niemeyer, I do think she is maybe like the future of, of German tennis. She's, you know, she's great. She's young. Um, and this was a, you know, it was a good performance from her, but um, it's, it was an exceptional performance, I think from, you know, Maria given, as, as you said, like her, her recording in Grand Sams, Niemeyer hasn't really had that sort of, I feel like baggage or those, all those disappointments, um, you know, to kind of, you know, having, you know, have to kind of draw upon. And I thought that maybe was going to help her, you know, in the, in this moment. But I think, you know, for Maria, it certainly was, Im- you know, impressive how, you know, it, it's come out of nowhere in the same way, but in a different way to kind of Emma Raducanu, um, or or even Aslan Karatsev. I was actually came trying to think who's, which story is it more like, or is it just a Tatiana Maria story? Because it's a story of a, of a, of a journey woman, I feel that at the end uh, towards the end of her career after doing everything um battling on the tour um becoming a you know mother of two um it's really feels like the you know this is this is her crowning glory yeah and i think i think you know i'm just thinking back to the french open a couple of years ago we had like nadia podoroska get to the semi out Mm, of nowhere and um I mean, what happened to her? My gosh. Uh, but so it, we've seen this happen before, but I was wondering also, it reminded me a bit of Flavia Panetta, you know, winning the ah. US Open and then like retiring immediately after. So if Maria did go on to like win Wimbledon, would she sort of think, right, there's nothing else I can kind of achieve. Almost a bit like Marion Barsley as well, like retiring quite soon after. I don't know. I mean, she hasn't obviously won it, but um, it's... Or even like Monica Puy at the, you know, the Olympics. Yeah, just like tournament that you sort of have the tournament of your life it's kind Mm. of a one-off and you think well maybe that's it (laughs) but I mean she she was very very tidy um on the court today it's a sort of similar match in in a sense against Ostapenko was Ostapenko making a lot of errors and that's really what Niemeyer that's what undid her as the match went on a lot a lot more unforced errors and uh Tatiana Maria was able to just keep her game in check and convert uh, when it mattered most so um she knows what it takes obviously she's she's not going to have i would say as many unforced areas coming down the other end no, in the semi final from on yeah i was going to say that i i just feel like on Jabor is not going to give up as many unforced areas as say a Yelena Ostapenko no and we saw that today um well, yesterday rather against um, Marie Buzkova. You know, Jabor did drop that first set six three, and she well she wasn't playing a very clean set at that particular moment. But when she stepped it up and she sorted herself out, you know, six one six one in those last two sets, it was um, very very comfortable. She won, I think, eight games on the trot at one point, um, and you know, the eight of the last nine points to just finish it off, you know without any sort of nerves and um you know got off to that slow start pulled it together and and off off she went so she's unbeaten on on grass you know this season um in fact over the last couple of years she's only dropped she's only lost two matches on on grass so she is a great grass court player she's in really good form as you, as you can tell and you know I I would fully expect her to beat Maria but I mean, it could go three sets, could go three sets, because don't forget, Jabor is also into the semis of a slam for the first time. So and she will feel I think she will feel the nerves a bit as the one expected to to go through. So it'll be curious. I agree, because I think, you know, in that match, in the match against Bushkova, I, I do think, she, you know, again, she was going in that match as as the favourite and perhaps that affected her performance in, in the first set. That was one of the reasons maybe why she dropped it. But as the match wore on, she got kind of more familiar with the, the Bushkova game. There really was only only one winner. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, I think, with Jabor, how she deals with Maria and kind of the unique brand of tennis she brings to the court. You know, very little pace, lots of slice, lots of spin, 
you know, stuff that Ons Jabor does to, you know, to her opponents. Um, I think it will be a very much a tactical battle. I do feel like Ons Jabor's game is more, uh, you know, multi-dimensional. I think it's more well-rounded than Tatiana Maria's. But at the same time, Maria is going to be playing with so much confidence and belief, regardless of, I think, what position she finds herself in, because, you know, because of the, you know, the scenario she has been in this tournament so i don't feel like we're going to be able to kind of count out maria until really the you know the match is over but certainly for on she will be looking at this as a big opportunity to make her first grand slam final yeah and what i think is nice is she's playing maria and they are really good friends apparently they like to um spend quite a bit of time off the court together i think on um i saw a nice video of her with one of maria's daughters so they are they're good mates so i think it's nice that they're both at this stage of the tournament, you know, for the first time, they're going to be playing each other. I mean, what are they putting on that barbecue, Kim? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Yeah, well, I don't know. But I mean, hopefully they'll be able to have a nice, you know, evening after the match together, hanging out, maybe. German sausage, like a, a, a bratwurst? Bratwurst or curryverse, yeah. Very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, we've got the women's semi-finals tomorrow. Onjabor, Tatiana Maria is first up then followed by Rybakina versus Simona Halep. We're going to do some predictions again, Kim. What what are you where are you going to? What do you think is going to be the Grand Slam ladies final? Uh Jabor Halep, which I think is despite some of the shocks we've had this tournament, mm. I think that's a credible final like I wanted to say credible, but that's a, a predictable final that we could have predicted prior to the tournament, you know, prior to <laughs> seeds flying mm. out early and whatnot. So I think that's the most likely Final, yeah, Jabor Halep. And you going Jabor in straights? No, Jabor in three sets, Halep in straights in the semis. Ooh, Ooh. Okay, okay. Don't let me down, Simona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I, keep, I just keep you thinking. <laughs> I just think Halep Rybakino is, is a little bit like pretty much the same as the Anisimova yeah. match. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 even if, if Rybakino brings an end of elevated game. It's a very similar sort of game, I feel, to yeah. what Anna Samova brings to the court. So I think Halep will also come through that. And I think she'll come through that in straight sets. I'm going to put on Jabor in straight sets as well. Um, but I'd love to see Tatiana Maria get to the final because it's such an amazing, amazing story. But uh, yeah, I've got to go with yeah, a Jabor-Halep final. And finally, Kim, the men's side, men's semifinals, Novak Djokovic, Cam Norrie, Kyrgios Nadal what are you what are you thinking there Djokovic in three and um Kyrgios in we are so brutal against (laughs) we should be celebrating a Brit being in the semis uh after all these years I'm not not celebrating I'm just being a prag pragmatic realistic um I mean yeah I think and with Rafa I I feel like this injury is is going to get in the way so Mm. I'm I'm gonna say Kyrgios for the for the win obviously I would love Rafa to win um but uh, yeah no Novak Kyrgios final I, I know I think it could be four sets Rafa might get a set um but I mean I suppose if his abdomen's that bad well we'll, we'll have to see it's yeah I've, I feel like it's going to be a Novak Nick final which is uh, is interesting but I don't really it's not the final I'd be the most keen for, personally. I'd love a Nori Rafa final. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it will be interesting given all the tweets and social media Nick Kyrgios has come yeah, out right against yeah. uh, Novak Djokovic over the last well <laughs> over the last year plus. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to go Djokovic, Djokovic in three as well, and uh, I'm I'm going to have to back Kyrgios for now. I know I've, we've just spoken about how much of a competitor Nadal is but I just think Kyrgios at 100% if if Rafa is not 100% I've got to give Kyrgios the edge I'm saying Kyrgios in four but who knows we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see as always Kim but uh we're gonna wrap up this episode this quarterfinals catch up with Tennis Weekly listeners I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode remember to stay up to date on all the action at Wimbledon to subscribe to us 
on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Uh, so do give us a like and a follow or send us your queries, comments, feedback, and suggestions. Uh, if you prefer, you can email those to us as well, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the semi-finals action. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.